Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur Show. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there, you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs or on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. So with that being said, I have with us, I think this might be the first episode out of Mississippi, interestingly, out of Starkville, Mississippi from Rick's Cafe, Ryan Handron. How are you doing today, Ryan? I'm doing well. How are you, Justin? I'm doing very well. I'm I'm partial to the name Ryan because my name is actually Justin Ryan Bizarro. And so very touches a big place in my heart. My sister was actually married to Ryan and dated a, Mar- a Ryan separately. I have a cousin named Ryan. And so it holds a very special place in my heart. And I will tell everyone in the audience real quick how I got my name. There's like an Angelo with Suzette and Anjanette, many other cool names, Christina, Dominic, even Michael, I guess, is a, is Michelangelo uh, Bizarro, <laughs> my oldest brother. So they all got cooler names. And um, I didn't have a name, and I came out J.R. Bizarro, and we grew up on a horse farm, so it was after Justin Boots and Ryan Saddles for quarter horses, <laughs> um, Western That's Boots awesome. and Western Saddles that I am yeah. known as Justin Ryan, so... Fancy boy. Yeah, yeah, fancy. <laughs> fancy. Uh, I grew up bougie because of that. They gave me those high those high class names right there. So I guess it's better than naming you Ariet. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You know, or Gucci, yeah. I guess maybe that would have been right. better. But it would have right. been hard living up to that name. So Yeah. Um all right, Ryan, tell me your story. Like how'd you get into food or beverage? Like how'd you get into the space that you're in? And like sure. sort of what's your history? Where'd you grow up? Where was your family like? Did you grow up entrepreneurial? Ooh. So on and so forth. How, how long is this podcast? <laughs> as long as All you right. want it to be. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm 35 now and I'm right now the, the general manager at Rick's Cafe here in Starkville, Mississippi. And and this is a uh, where we do food, but we are also a, a large bar and music venue. So we're the largest music venue for uh, the town where Mississippi State is, that's where Dak Prescott played uh, college football. That's kind of our claim to fame right now. We we also just won a national championship in baseball a couple years ago, Hale State. Um, but uh, I'm not from Mississippi at all. I was born in Montana. I grew up in Wyoming and Colorado. I lived in North Dakota a little bit. Um, my family has always been in the restaurant industry. So when I was four years old, I started working at my family's bakery. And, uh, I mean, I I never stopped really. The only time that I ever took a break from working in food, uh, was when I was in the arm, I was an army medic for seven years. And, and even then I still worked in food sometimes. Like when I had two weeks off, I'd go help at my mom's Burger King or, uh, when I was in the national guard, I worked at an Applebee's and I ran another uh, bar that Rick used to own uh, called Cowbells. It was a big nightclub also. Um, so in 2008, I moved to Starkville and I started working at that other bar. I ended up finishing my degree in Colorado where I worked in the cannabis industry and uh, also at, a, at another bar there uh, and a pizza place. Um, and when I came back to Startville, uh, I told Rick, I, I asked him for my job back, uh, bartending and he's like, well, do you want to be the manager? <laughs> his, his manager wasn't going very well at the time. And, uh, I took the job in 2014 and I've, uh, been the manager ever since. So let's talk a little bit about being in the army, being an army medic. What was that like? What skills? I mean, you had to have brought skills back with you. The army trains leadership, trains discipline, teamwork. There's a bunch of skills that I feel like, and most people are like, oh, wait, he's a medic. Why didn't he go into the medical field? So maybe you could touch upon that a little bit because I'm sure other people were caught that part and it was sort of a little nugget, but there's probably yeah, a little yeah, more sure. to it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm very open book. Uh, so I, you know, when I don't think any 17 or 18 year old, honestly knows what they want to do. Um, when I was joining the army, I wanted to be in the artillery. Uh, my, so if you're 17, you have to let your, your, your parents have to sign off on it. 
And the only way that my mom agreed to sign off on me uh, joining the Army when I was 17 is if I joined something that had a solid civilian sector skill. And I was like, Mom, I could shoot down avalanches. And she's like, no. <laughs> so she's like, you could be a medic. You could do this communication thing. You could go into meteorology. But if you want to do artillery until you're 18, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do that. So I'm like, all right. Well, my recruiter said, oh, you can sign up as one thing and change to be whatever you want later. And I'm like, bet. I'll do that. I'll sign up to be a medic, make my mom happy, go to basic training this summer, come back and switch to the artillery. Well, I went to my medic school and it turns out that I loved it. And uh, I pretty much immediately volunteered for a deployment and then another one. And I, you know, when I said no 17 or 18 year old really knows what they want to do. I thought I wanted to, at that point, after I was like, I'll be a medic. I was thinking maybe I'll be like a physician's assistant or a nurse practitioner, get into emergency medicine or something. And it, I was really good at it in the training. And, and in Iraq, I did a very good job as a medic, but I take it all way too personally. Uh, medicine is a very hard, uh, hard thing to deal with especially trauma uh you, you know you you're dealing with people you know i was dealing with people that didn't even speak the same language as me and children and you know people of all different ethnicities and you know in that you know there's just a lot of things that you can't or that i couldn't step aside from when i got home at night and uh i just knew that medicine wasn't for me you know i i was lucky enough to figure that out before i spent a bunch of money on uh, you know, nurse practitioner school or something, and then end up having to do it. Cause that happens to a lot of people. They think they want to do this and, you know, and then they get stuck doing some job because now they've paid for all this schooling. Like, luckily I got to try it out and, you know, nothing went wrong, but I also just found out like, this is not going to be a healthy job for me to have forever. So I bowed out with, you know, good awards as a sergeant, seven years, you know, nice accolades and things like that. And that was it, you know? And, and so when I got out, I, I went to school for alternative energy actually. Um, but I really do love running this nightclub for Rick. Honestly, I, I don't, I wouldn't work at another bar anymore at this age. Uh, Rick and I also own a security company together and he and I also own a, a company that we grow hemp and isolate and extract CBD products. So that's really like what my, you know, that's what I'm going to grow up doing. I'm going to, I'm going to grow up and be an old hemp farmer and make CBD stuff. But right it. now I really love <laughs> I running this love music it. venue for Rick. And it's because Rick is a great dude to work for. Honestly, it's a lot of fun. Uh, he is like a very hands-on boss. So it says Rick's cafe. And if you come, it, it, you know, if, if you come to play at Rick's, yeah. Rick is going to help you load your guitars into his building. And he's going to be there when the doors get locked at night. Like he's not just like some imaginary painting or something, you know, like he's a, he's a badass dude to work for. He's also like the president of our local humane society. And, he does a bunch of community service and he's just a, he's just a good dude. And I, I wouldn't, I still, I do love the restaurant industry. It's like absolutely in my blood. I'm 35 and I've done it for 31 years, but it's so exhausting. And you have to know that as a person who did it, you know, like I'm, I, I try and have a regular uh, life with my fiance who has an eight to five job. <laughs> and uh, you know, I don't get off work until three 30 or four in the morning. So we're two ships passing in the night most of the time. You know, we, we're lucky. We get to eat lunch together. That's like our normal meal. Like most most couples eat dinner, you know? Yeah, I think uh, that that's a big thing, yeah. actually, in food. Um, and the, I agree with you on the restaurant thing. It's partially why I, I think I'm transitioning now is that even though it there there is no nine to five in food like the trucks were running at night the foods being delivered breakfast lunch and dinner plus snacks and when we're in healthcare yeah. and food and i do agree with you like the problems are never ending and 24 years of doing it was like i didn't handle by the end i was so burned out and i was so in survival mode because as you grow food service businesses bigger 
And if you don't build the right managers and, and information mm-hmm. and rotate the people, you take on more and more and more as an entrepreneur, I think, at times. And food businesses, they're always going to be juggernauts. Unless you keep it simple in your menus like McDonald's and there's only a certain amount of items you serve and you can explode across the country simply, um, that just wasn't my scenario. I do agree with you. It's a constant stressor. And there's like that time of like, okay, I'm learning. I'm learning how to do this better. I can do it better than my parents for sure. And the the, mm-hmm. the elders that are in my life, because I like the term elders, I think it's a, a good point. Um, th- there's leaders, there's elders to look to for leadership. And then there's the youth who are a little bit, you know, behind us as we get in our 40s, 30s, 40s, 50s that are behind us that we're supposed to lead. And then after 50, I feel like we're supposed to be more like advisors and elders because we're a little detached from the modern world or what's happening with the youth and where the world is going. So I think there's some of that. But I'm on a tangent here. But my point being this, um, I like where you're going with this. I, I want to talk about you being an entrepreneur in general because I think that that's important as well. But let's talk about who's Rick like how why did he start a nightclub why in the middle of mississippi what exactly is this what kind of live music and how does it play into sort of mississippi state if you don't mind and then we can go back to your story because you're talking about rick live and it's rick's cafe so i want to just anchor that in but i also want to make sure the audience caught that you're a business partners with rick and a lot of ventures and you're an entrepreneurial spirit so i will get back to that in a second let's talk about who rick is Yeah, so uh, his name is Rick Welch, and he's from Mississippi. Uh, he's from a, a little town outside of Meridian. Uh, that's the town most people know. And he went to school at Mississippi State, graduated with a uh, mechanical, no, a uh, process engineering degree, something like that. I think that's what it is, process engineering. It's, you know, like systems engineering where you look at something to make it more efficient kind of stuff. It's not my degree, so I don't have to remember it. But uh, the uh, he's got his degree at Mississippi State, and then he did a internship at um, in D.C. under Sonny Montgomery. Actually, uh, most anybody that's a veteran out there or has a, a family member that is knows who Sonny Montgomery is because they use the Sonny Montgomery GI Bill to go to college for free. So Rick actually did a did an internship for him in D.C., which is really cool. Um, because that guy has helped a bunch of, you know, my friends and, and people I care about. So that's that's pretty neat. Uh, when he came back, uh, when he was done with that, he he had a he worked in North or South Carolina for a couple of years using his engineering degree, um, but he just didn't love it. But when he was in college, he worked at a couple of bars here in Starkville, and so uh, there was a bar called uh, Choices which is the old bar where Rick's now it uh, Rick's is now. And, uh, it was for sale and, uh, Rick wanted to buy it. So in 1994, he bought, uh, the, the bar that was called choices and he rebranded it Rick's Rick's cafe American. So it's spelled, uh, the, the American is C A I N. And that's, uh, one of the bars in the movie Casablanca, there's another bar in that movie called the blue parrot. And so with, within Rick's, Rick's cafe is a big building. And, and that's like, uh, within that building, there's another small sports bar. And so there's the blue parrot and Rick's cafe American. And those are both the bars, uh, from Casablanca. So that's where, that's where it got its name. Rick's is the, the main bar. And that's got a 850-person capacity. We've had Kenny Chesney, Snoop Dogg, Maroon 5. Uh, we just had Lainey Wilson a couple weeks ago. Uh, we've all, all kinds of music. We're a, a college venue. Um, it's mostly country music now because we're in Mississippi, and that's really what the kids want to hear. We have a, a band here called the Mustache Band. They're a 90s country cover band. And they all dress up like they're in the nineties. They, you know, one of the guys looks like Alan Jackson from the Chattahoochee video. He's got like the ski invest on and they've all got mullets and it, it is buck wild. 
We yeah, Rick's been open since 1994, and out of our top 20 sales nights ever, 15 of them are Mustache Band. Mustache the band, 90s country cover. It is it is so much fun. <laughs> That's awesome, actually. Yeah, I'm it, very impressed. Yeah, it really is. It's a it is a great gimmick, and they just rock the hell out of it. So I mean, did he? I mean, this is kind of a cool concept. So you've got all these people coming through. They play for the town. How many? How big is the venue? How many people does it hold? How much? How does Rick? How many people does Rick's Cafe American Con uh, hold? Yeah. So uh, if we're gonna like, so when Laney Wilson was here the other day, we sold eight hundred twenty-five tickets because that's how many people fit in that one main room. And you know, there's gonna be a point. You know, when she's singing a song that everybody runs in here, in there to hear that same song. So for a show like Laney Wilson, we'll do 825. But when the mustache band comes, we'll have we have an outside bar also that that's, you know, open for that kind of stuff. We have the front bar. So when we have when we have when we have mustache band, we could have twelve hundred people in there because there's never going to be a moment where they all run in there. We could have 200 people in the front bar and 300 people outside and 800 people in the main room. So, Holy shit. That's just like, that's pretty cool, man. Like, what is that like? Like, what is that like for you to run a party like that? I mean, seriously, that's like, that's like no small task. Right. Uh, Honestly, it's all in the handbook, Rick. It, it, it's it, Rick made it really super easy for me and, and everybody that works here, because by the time I came along in 2014, all the dumb questions have been asked. Everything here is like, you just have to basically show up and smile and, and read the handbook and everything is going to be okay. Like it's a, it's a very easy, we're just a glorified concession stand. You know, I've been to Iraq two times. So to me, this is just like, not stressful at all anymore like uh, what do you okay the computer's down well just hand him a drink and let him let him sit here for a second it's gonna be okay folks nothing's on fire you know like just look around give him some give him some chips and salsa it'll be okay heck you know so it's just a lot of fun i get to hang out with the bands all day if they want to go golfing or something i take them you know i i have a week so the, the house that i live at is connected by a little walkway to the bar and there's a pool in my backyard so if the band wants to come up here and hang out at my pool like that's my job for the day you know if if they want to if riley green yeah when riley green wants to go to a baseball game when he's playing at rick's i take him to a baseball game and that's my job like it's not not that bad of a job so how i mean how did rick start getting i mean how do you guys do, do people just know Rick's Cafe American right now? They're just like, okay, we're going to come there. We're going to do this. Um, and people just... So, Ryan, like, do the artists now just know to try to book you as a venue? Uh, do you have to go out and try to get bookings? I mean, I don't even know what it's like to run a music venue. And then on top of it, how do you deal with all the food, all of the kitchen, all of that as the general manager? Because you're trying to coordinate all of it. Sure. So the to answer the band question first, uh, it's a little bit of both. Uh, nowadays, uh, our Rick's Rick's is on the map band wise. They want to meet Rick. You know, they've heard about Rick's. They've heard about our wings, which are really good, and they've heard about our staff, which takes great care of our bands. Like it's not like a music. We're we're not like a regular music venue. They say this is like a home away from home. You guys are so great. And honestly, that's what we're really trying to be. We want these guys to be so relaxed when they're here that they just want to hang out and that they have a great show and they want to come back again. You know, like that's what we're trying to be is a music venue. So some of it is bands wanting to play here. Uh, Some of it is us uh, reaching out and finding things on our own. I will say that one of the things, one of the reasons that Rick has been successful is because he absolutely keeps his finger on the pulse of who is on their way up, especially in country music and the the college scene in general. Uh, but he has phenomenal ability to to see what's coming and know, like you know, we can't. We, 
we can, we can't get someone once they're huge because they're playing somewhere bigger on a Friday night or something. But he can just he has a really uh, good ability to see when they're about to be. You know, we had Eric Church before anything happened. We had Lainey Wilson three times before she got all these awards, and now we've had her four times. You know, no, I'm not saying nobody knew who she was the first three times, but she was an opener for for Frank Foster and and someone else. So, uh, but all right, so so some of it's that, and then we also work with uh, a couple of promoters that that um, like do concert tours all across the South. Uh, Peachtree Entertainment is one of our uh, really good partners that we work with. Um, a lot of really good country music comes from them, and they work with venues in Georgia, Alabama, um, to make to just get bands on these nice little, you know, one night here, 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 just in a nice little row, easy for everybody. You know, everybody gets paid, everybody's happy. Uh, so, so it's it's a little bit of all three of those those ways. Um, and then for the food, uh, you asked about how do I how do I manage running that at the music venue? That was the easiest part of it for me uh, when I took over. the The food is what I have done my whole life. I, you know, like I said, I I've worked in bakeries and t- Taco Bell's, McDonald's, Burger Kings, Blimpies, Popeyes. Uh, several restaurants that my family just started on their own, Papa Murphy's Pizzas. My family did a bunch of franchise stuff throughout then, you know, just moved around, bumped up in different organizations. So uh, child labor laws aren't a thing if place. So I was lucky enough to get a lot of experience early on. So when I came on uh, to Rick's, uh, the food was, um, I mean, it was fine, but we do mostly bar food. And, uh, well, that's, and that's still what we do. It's, it's bar food, but we, we do a really good job of it now. And our, our food sales have gone up, uh, almost 400% since I took over in 2015. So that was, that was the easiest part for me. The harder part was, uh, or the harder parts were, uh, really becoming a competent, uh, the, the music side of it, the, the music venue part of it. I didn't know about sound equipment and lighting equipment and speaker, you know, all of that stuff. That was basically a foreign language to me. Uh, I also, when I became the manager, I'd only been bartending uh, for, you know, six years, which sounds like, you know, kind of a long time, but I don't think anybody's an expert or a professional at anything in six years. And, you know, now I'm the leader of 23 uh, you know, bartend, you know, 20 bartenders that are looking up to me to be that person. So the, the food part was easy. I was, you know, comfortable, but not, uh, what I would expect out of my leader in the bar part. And, and in the sound and music side, I was a absolute infant. Um, but you know, I put my head down and learned it and I feel like I'm pretty, pretty competent in all of it now. Talk to me about that. How did you learn all the equipment? Like you obviously are like, I don't know this, but I'm being asked to manage it. Can you walk through that, please? Because I think there's somewhat of a mindset thing there, but it's also you've never done it before, but yet now you're expected to gain respect and manage individuals who know you don't know, you know, so how did you go about that? I learned it one piece at a time. That's a John, it's, I was playing a Johnny Cash song there. I don't know if you know it. Uh, it's, a, yeah. it's a great song. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's a, uh, 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 humility, you know. Uh, if you're in that position, and when I was, I didn't act like I knew it. I was very open to everybody that this is what I know, and I need you to finger paint me <laughs> the information here. You know, I, it, nobody that I worked, nobody that I've ever worked with, uh, will get mad at you for admitting you're dumb. They'll only get mad if they find out you're dumb. You know, <laughs> if you, they just, a lot of, a lot of people don't like to be surprised. They don't like surprises. So if you say, Hey, I don't, I don't know what's up here. Can you, can you help me? We can find the answer together. It's usually not an issue. The sound guys that I worked with, uh, and that I still work with, 
uh, are fantastic uh, um, leaders and teachers and that kind of stuff. Uh, they have seen a lot of other managers come and go that didn't even try, you know. So the fact that I was putting in the effort to learn how to turn the lights on correctly and, you know, learn how to run it if there was an emergency, they'd never seen that. So the fact that I was coming to them saying, I would I would like to learn how to do this as part of my general scope, they were they loved it, you know. I'm now they can be late and I can cover them. And it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal to them. It's not a big deal to me that my lights aren't turned on or there's not music playing. You know, like, I can do it. So it's an important part of being is being able to do all of the things below you. Um, I think that I, I, I can do everything at the bar. And not only can I do it now, I can do it the best you know the only thing that i wouldn't say someone could do uh, that i could do the best is probably like running sound or running lights for an actual concert but anything else making drinks making food i can step back in the kitchen or behind a bar at any point and be the best person back there and the as a as a subordinate in the army that's what i was looking for in my first sergeant and my 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 company commander I want to see them being completely proficient, you know, like there's a ton of things you can tell about a, a person by their uniform. You know, you need to, I need to come into work looking nice every day. That's an important aspect of being a leader is looking like a leader. Um, you know, I, I, I'm the general manager and I could delegate absolutely anything that I want to. And at the end of a hard night, you'll see me mopping. And you'll see me taking out trash and you see me washing dishes with everybody. And I clean the sinks, whatever needs to be done, because the if they don't see me do it, why would you know? Uh, I'm setting the standard, not just by the quality of work, but by saying this is every you know, I, I'm not saying I'm better than you here. I mop too. I do this stuff. So I get I went on a tangent there, but no. No, it's exactly what I want. You know, I think that that's okay. what we want in the audience, and the audience is going to hear this and agree. I think that that's, you know, exactly what we're looking for is like, what are these experiences? Like, not everyone's story is the same, but how do we walk through people specifically, get into the dirty details of how things are done or, or what the mindset is of the individuals making it so they can see it? I think not, you know, you're in. The stories are important, but it's also, okay, how did they go about doing this that I think um, is important also, and that's what we're talking about here. You're taking something you learned. You took something you learned in the Army about your first sergeant, and you're setting, like, okay, these are the standards I would look up to, so I need to build my character similarly when I'm leading people, and I think that that's the way it's done. We don't come out all of a sudden being leaders. It's a skill. We don't all of a sudden come out being entrepreneurs. Like, we had the entrepreneurial seed but we have to grow it we may have a leadership seed but we have to grow it and i think that that's part of it it's like here's god's will he's putting the seed in us that we have to have the will to grow it and um, yeah go ahead i will say that i'll say that I, i i know that this leadership style is effective because i have the absolute lowest turnover rate of anybody within 90 miles of here i i have the most senior staff I have a, you know, almost 10 people from pre COVID, you know, which for a, for a restaurant business in this area is very uncommon. This is a college town, you know, kids come and quit, whatever people don't, people don't quit Rick's. They, they either graduate, graduate college and go get a real job somewhere, which I can add about, or, they get fired for doing something stupid, but for, you know, people don't just get mad at us and quit. Like we're very reasonable bosses, uh, Rick and myself. Uh, and, and we do the things that, you know, Rick pays his employees twice as much as anybody else in town for the same job. Uh, I mean, he, he just, yeah, this is not a, this is a, a, a great place to work for a bunch of reasons, but people don't just want to quit here. And part of it is our leadership style. You do make a lot of it's it's very good money working here. On top of that, 
but you wouldn't, you don't, you don't stay at a job for the money. You know, uh, some people do, but they say you don't quit a job. You quit a boss. People don't quit here. So that, that means something to me. I agree with you 100%. The, um, so let's go back to like the, the entrepreneurial piece, the bouncing around, um, all the fast food chains and what you learn, what did you learn from the restaurants as a kid? Uh, and, and obviously then you went into the army, but what, what was important about that stuff? All the fast food chains, all the different types of chains. Cause you got exposed to a lot of different systems. I feel like, um, talk yeah, about did. that a little bit. You know, honestly, it's, uh, really crazy but i feel like my time working you know i i took working in food serious uh, food service very seriously as a kid probably a lot more serious than a lot of 14 or 15 year olds you know because my it was my family doing it my sister was my manager and my mom was the owner and uh you know so i i took it very serious and i learned the, the kind you know another one of those skills that you can't you're not you're not really born with that you have to like like leadership situational awareness is something you that is something you have to learn and honestly it helped keep me alive in iraq like working at taco bell was was absolutely training for combat you know there's things coming in the situation changes all the time uh it's a there were a lot of skills that i took from food service into that as far as the entrepreneurial stuff you know watching my mom do this my whole life uh as a single parent was pretty inspiring when i realized what she was doing you know she had three kids and she was just out here like chasing every you know selling this and changing to this so that we could just get a little you know five hundred dollars more a year probably more than that but she was just chasing every every small extra bit of franchise she could chase to to make our lives better and when i got old enough to realize like what it was like i i can't imagine having three children at my age and working the 60 hours a week my mom worked and like taking a shower like i don't i really don't know how she did it and so Watching her do that was very inspiring to make me want to do that. Like my mom didn't want to be an employee. She wanted to be a boss because, and she is a boss. There's not like, it's not like it's something that she didn't accomplish. She is, my mom is a boss. She's a boss lady. And that's the kind of person I want to be. I, you know, I, she's my biggest role model growing up. Uh, and I know that uh, that's just my experience. I know that Rick is also very inspired by by his family. They uh, stuff from Mississippi State and weren't entrepreneurs, um, but his uncle was in the Marine Corps, and then just this very uh, I don't know the right word for it peculiar, but that makes it sound bad. Uh, uh, intriguing just like a a very you know uh uh exotic uh i don't know i don't know he he, he was he was a you know bigger than life kind of person and 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 so i think that that his uncle inspired him to do something that was a little bit bigger than the other people that were around him you know his uncle traveled the world and did all this cool stuff and Rick isn't much of a, you know, he's, he doesn't like that stuff as much, but he is, he wanted to do something big and it was this bar and he, he's made it pretty big. Yeah, I agree. I think it's pretty awesome. Um, wow. I'm like, I'm blown away by all of it. So the, in the fast food chains, I mean, there's a lot of efficiencies. That's why they're fast food and there's a lot of systems in there. Mm -hmm. Have you, did you carry a lot of those systems or ideas with you into the food when you were working on Rick's cafe to improve the food, the quality, the pace, because the faster you get it out and the quicker you do it and the more you maximize every square foot, every minute as they do in fast food is the more profit you make for lack of a better term. Cause you always have the same number of employees getting paid the same hourly wage basically. And if they're making tips 
great. You want them to serve more food and more booze so they can make bigger tips and make more money too. Mm-hmm. So talk to me a little bit about how all of this played together as you looked at Rick's Cafe. Yeah, I mean, it's they had a they had a really solid foundation when I came on. It's not like their kitchen was bad by any means, but I would say that it was stagnant. I mean, it just was the very basic bar food that, you know, they they were getting packets of ranch and not making their own ranch. You know, that which which costs more and doesn't taste as good, you know, so there's just a bunch of little things like that. Uh, it, you know, the presentation of the food was all going on, you know, like a plastic tray with a black checkered paper, which looks fine for some things, but it would look a lot nicer on a, a, a white oval plate, you know. And so we just we, we did a bunch of really easy things. We traded out. You know, we were getting flash frozen wings, uh, and we traded those out for fresh wings and bag them ourselves. It's like half the price. So we we went. I, I used a bunch of things that I knew about food from twenty years of experience, like a bit flash frozen wings cost more. That people don't like packet ranch, and it costs more. And I brought those things here, and it turns out that people liked it. You know, like if we we could. Honestly, we all it's it's the exact same uh, some of, some of the ingredients are a little bit different, but most of the things that we did was change the plating and and that's about it and people really love it. It's like we had good food, we just needed to put a little bit of love into a couple of ingredients and and, sh- and show people, you know, present it in a way where it looked like nice food and all of a sudden people think it's nice food. Well, and, and it is. We're also not sure what we're also not trying to be anything we're not. We understand that we are a uh, a college bar that serves food. We we don't serve lunch. We serve. We our kitchen opens at five, and then and then we're it's open until we close. So we serve people that have been drinking some really good munchies, or you can come in there and get a steak for dinner. We have you know awesome hand cut ribeyes. You know it's really good bar food. Uh, but we embrace that. We're not trying to be a fancy restaurant. We're not trying to be anything we're not. We make, you know, like we fry our own taco shells and we make, you know, in-house taco meat. But we're not, uh, but that's because it's good bar food. If you, if you were to order tacos at a bar, it better be, I want it to be a taco that you want thousand of. And that's what our tacos are. They're They're fantastic. So, who do you look up to? What are, you know, what have been in your inspirations in life? We talked about your parents and Rick, or your mom, excuse me. Um, but what outside of that, like, have there been people in the military maybe, or um, while you, any other part of life that maybe you looked up to or that were a good role model for you? Yeah. I know. I actually know that Rick and I share a, a common role model, uh, which is a, a man who's now passed named Terry Lunsford. And uh, I worked for Terry uh, doing different odd jobs over the years. And Rick and Terry were just, uh, they were friends. And uh, both of us looked up to Terry as a good human that we would both like to grow up and be one day and i looked at i I looked up to terry as i always say that i had two best bosses one of them was terry and one of them is rick and uh yeah he's just a wonderful dude who took care of all the people around him no matter what and also worked really hard and loved to have fun and we miss him a lot yeah uh my mom for sure i've already said that everybody knows my mom's a pretty awesome lady by this point uh, I, I had some really good mentors in the army, Steve Atencio. He lives in, uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming. He was my boss for about two years. And, uh, he, he taught me a lot of the things that I wanted to be about a sergeant. And I really do appreciate his mentorship and we still talk. And he actually came and, uh, he's a helicopter pilot now. And he was down here test flying some pilot, uh, some helicopters, 
uh, in Startville last year and, and we got to hang out for a day and that was a, a grand old time. It's nice to run into good old army buddies. I also had a, a, a really great shop teacher and he was also my FFA advisor and my wrestling coach named uh, Bob Moeller in uh, Enderlin, North Dakota, who taught me a lot of things as, when I was a younger man about who I wanted to be. Uh, yeah, he was a, a really good guy. Uh, for about four years of my life, when my, you know, my dad wasn't around, obviously, I'd never said it, but everybody can probably tell by now. And so having uh, a teacher like that and, uh, you know, an advisor in my life that was a, just a decent guy uh, was, was pretty important. Uh, yep. And then my grandma is the one that inspired that really, I wanted, I wanted to, the, the little bit of me that wanted to be in medicine, my mom made me be a medic, but I kind of had that a little bit of drop pull towards it from before. Uh, that was, my grandma was a nurse and a, a missionary, uh, in Columbia in the 1950s. And it, it always, it, it, I wanted to be something like that. And I ended up getting to go on a, um, very similar trip to what my grandma did. I wasn't a missionary, but I went as an army medic into the uh, Panamanian jungle for three weeks and set up uh, w- with a, with an army unit and set up uh, medical clinics in three different villages and and did everything from veterinary care to obst- uh, you know uh, well we did OBGYN stuff, but I was op- optometry and dentistry work and general health and that was a, a really good experience I got to have so. Yep, I think that's about it for my for my role models. It's very interesting that medical experience is just like I feel like it's there. I'm not sure how it's like gonna play a part in your life in the long run, but I have a feeling that there's a greater thing there. You know? Yeah, I, I use it all. I use it all the time. You know? I mean, I I uh, it's not like I don't wouldn't use it. You know, like I stop at every car accident and. You know, I mean, it's I, my these skills are are still absolutely helping people all over the place. There's all the, you know, I everybody needs a medic around. Shit, it, it, you get boo boos. You, you know, you have questions. I ran a, I, I was a a combat medic, so I I went on missions and do stitches and you know, if you're bleeding, I can stop it. If you're not breathing, hopefully, I can help you. I do all the emergency stuff, but then in my second deployment, I ended up running a, a clinic for a while. So I do know a lot of the, you know, symptom, all, you know, in this medicine. And so I do know some of the clinical stuff, too. So I am still a pretty handy person to, ha- person to have around in the, the event of an apocalypse. Uh, yeah, and I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I still use it all the time, uh, but it's just not, a, uh, you know, the one of the real hiccups I had with medicine is the way it's set up now. I, I think I would feel a lot less gross about working in medicine. If, if like I took a Hippocratic oath when you learn medicine, which basically says, okay, I know this ancient thing and I'm teaching it to you. And because I'm teaching it to you, you have to let people have it for free. If anybody's hurt, you got to help them. If they're sick, you got to help them because that's, that's, that's the price of this knowledge. And I agreed to that and I'm not a freaking oath breaker. And so like, I think it's really gross the way our, our healthcare system set up. But when I have an opportunity to help people, I still do it. And that's not like I would ever ask for any money or anything. Uh, I do hurricane relief privately with a friend of mine after hurricanes, we go down and and clear trees and do basic first aid and, and, uh, you know, help people just get their lives back in line a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I, I still use medicine all the time, but I'm never going to be part of the system with it again. Yeah. I understand that actually. I was in the food side of, uh, medicine and healthcare and hospitals and long-term care homes. So I, I, I very much get how the bureaucratic system and money and power and rebates and foreign entities play a role in in our own country's medicine and medical stuff. So um, even our food system. So it's very interesting. Um, we fight wars, yet we then let stuff infiltrate our, our very means of survival or the things that make us grow humans effectively. 
So, um, that's, uh, if we can, if we can shoot laser guided missiles at little kids in other countries, we can probably give our little kids healthcare, you know, like it's not an unreasonable idea to me. I'm not some crazy socialist or anything. I just know that half of our budget goes to that. And, I think maybe half of it shouldn't, you know, like just a little bit so we can not, you know, give them a little help. It'll be all right. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think ultimately it'll cost us less as a society if everyone has maintenance and the ability to um, prevent. There's preventative medicine is. Yep. It's easier than medicine. Yep. And then yeah. we start to look at that stuff. And then obviously you need reactionary medicine, but we start to look yeah. at things more holistically. I agree with you, including the way we do food and the way we live our lives and the way we offer, you know, the struggle just to get food and the struggle just to get medicine in a first world country seems a little bit ridiculous um, in a lot of ways. And I would say we get food very easily, but we don't have a lot of resources in terms of abundance, in terms of diversity that we should be having as humans to really live a full diet. We rely a lot on vitamins and prescriptions and whatever. Well, why? It's because we don't have the diversity of food to get the nutrients we need from a well-balanced diet to help fight off those things. So we supplement it with a lot of that stuff. So it's just my opinion. And vitamin but, C, yeah, yeah. Well, I agree with you. Vitamin C isn't the same as eating an orange, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, it's very true. So as an entrepreneur, like, what do you, like, how did you grow? Like, you looked at your mom. You obviously had Rick in your life. Talk to me about how you guys transitioned into other businesses. Like, what are some of the entrepreneurial things you're wanting for your future? You know, and how are you going to grow as a human, um, you know, the next few years of your life, if not decades? So, sure. So, I, I... I, I would say that uh, Rick is an entrepreneur farmer. <laughs> he is. Uh, he he sees. Uh, I I hope he sees people with not potential and not suckers. But uh, he he started. This, he sees people that want to do something, and, and he almost shark tanks them. I don't know. He he you know gets involved and helps them from the parts that he's good at, and allows us to do the parts that we're good at. Um, so like I got, you know, Rick and I had a very good relationship to the bar and because of that, he needed a partner in a security company that he owned to do some of the parts of it that were becoming overwhelming to him. So I took over on that. And once that was going fine for a while, uh, we got an opportunity from, another guy who owned a building to start doing the CBD extraction stuff and the hemp, hemp farming. And, uh, that's, I had, I had Rick, Rick asked me, you know, if you could do anything, what, what would you do? You know, like when you're done managing for me, if you could just go do anything, what would you do? And that was years ago. And I told him, I want to make cannabis product. I, I love doing the science side of cannabis extraction and isolation. I, I love science. I love cannabis. I think it's an awesome plant. It helps me and a bunch of my family with all kinds of things from lupus and epilepsy to PTSD and chronic pain. So I'm a huge believer in it. It's replaced a bunch of medicines in my life. Uh, and there's no denying that whether it's placebo or not, the, the, you know, I don't take medicine and I, and I do use this stuff from a plant now. And that's a fact. So, um, but, and I, I also enjoy breeding plants. So a couple years go by and this opportunity falls into our lap for me to do exactly that, for me to grow CBD hemp and breed hemp and do this uh, isolation and extraction process. And I love it. It's, uh, I've been, we've, we started that about a year ago. And we've been uh, in the, you know, figuring out phase. Uh, we just finished expanding our lab to the actual uh, production layout where um, we just got all of our new equipment. We're in the process of hooking it up today, yesterday, like this week. It's happening right now. 
Uh, so hopefully in about a month we'll have something to actually sell. And I'm very excited about that. That's very cool, man. I love this. I think the entrepreneurial ingenuity and that you're constantly chasing stuff and have that itch and willing to see it all the way through. I think that's a lot of struggle for entrepreneurs also as they start stuff but don't know how to see it all the way through or don't know how the patience to wait long enough to go through the trial and errors to get it right. You know, I don't, you know, how many recipes did Heinz have to go through before he actually invented ketchup with tomatoes, let alone because they were made with mushrooms before uh, that point, at least in a lot of cases, or at least what we're used to in the United States. So it's all interesting things you have to, you know, grow, you have to expand your mind, you have to look at problems differently. And I think that that's what you're doing. And you stack up skills. And I think your willingness to give to the world also allows the world to give to you. And the medical thing, the skills that we stack up in our life, as we stack skills, I think it's important that whatever we're doing, we always look at it as how would that skill treat me in the future? Is it something that I can leverage like a leadership skill or an entrepreneur skill or or survival skill? Because there's a lot of jobs that pay that well that have those skills. Am I learning something about the environment? Am I learning something about farming? Am I learning about something about food? Am I learning about something about maybe survival? I don't know. But these are all things to be aware of. Am I helping my community? Is it something that I can pass on to another generation? Am I willing to do so? Those are all the very important questions because we find purpose in it. One, and number two Mm -hmm. is... It's very hard for people to understand why we keep going every day and we are motivated. And I ask the questions all the time, entrepreneurs, oh, it's just because I keep going. But to a normal person that's not an entrepreneur, they don't know what it's like not to have someone else structure life for you. Like you're an entrepreneur, so you you went from the army who went very regimented structure for you to now basically being an entrepreneur where you're determining your own structure in life. You know, there's a transition Mm -hmm. there. How... Like that would seem hard to me where you're very regimented, I think you said six years with an army schedule and and a boss and, and very strict rules to now the entrepreneurial world where you're you're instilling rules and um and things and standard operating procedures for lack of a better term and handbooks and stuff like that. But yeah. you're also now having to be your own boss. And so talk to me a little yeah. bit about that. Sure. Uh, I think that um, a lot of, well, definitely when I was a kid, I didn't see my life as a privilege. The fact that I was expected to work, the fact that, you know, not only did I have a job at whatever my family's restaurant was, but I also, we had a farm and I was the oldest boy at my house. So I also put up all the Christmas lights and took them down and we moved all the time. So I was always carrying boxes and unload, you know, just all the, all the things. I, but at the time I would look at, you know, what I would call rich kids and be like, Oh, they don't have to do anything. They're so freaking lucky. They don't even have chores. Well, now when I go to those rich kids, they're dirty and my house is clean and I have the self drive to do this stuff. Like, because, I, because I didn't have, you know, a quote unquote easy childhood, I have a better adulthood, you know, because I was expected to, it's never like there, there, there was never like, Oh, I'm an adult. I'm expected to start working now. I have responsibilities. Like, no, I had responsibilities when I was a kid. It's, you know, so I'm, I'm very, very grateful that, um, I'm very grateful that, that that was the experience I had because there wasn't a transition Honestly, the the easier part of my life was when I, you know, was in the army and people just, that was the first time to think about it. But I also had to wake up in the morning and run and screw that. Yeah, I know. But I agree with you. Um, I always had responsibilities growing up. I had to have my own money, especially if I wanted any freedoms. And my parents were yeah. entrepreneurs and I grew up on a horse farm. And my dad was in the food business, but and I played soccer, so it was just constantly. But if I wanted money, I had to go mow lawns or do whatever I wanted yep. to figure it out on my own. There wasn't, 
you know, money there just waiting for me or given to me like an allowance that just, yeah, yep. the the word fuck I no bought. would be the word I think I got whenever <laughs> I asked him. Like, it look at me like I had 15 heads on me and 17 eyes. And yeah, um, there, yeah there would be the strings attached if there was an, if I was going and asking for money. Yeah. Okay. What are you going to do for me, kid? Yeah. You know, and it's not, and honestly, I, at the, at the time, I didn't appreciate my mom for it. And it's, I didn't, know that my mom was teaching me a skill and not being cruel <laughs> and now i realize that you know like she was teaching me that the, the value of it and, and that's not something that a lot of kids these days understand you know and i'm not and it's it's not just kids these days it's kids always there's always a group of people that ha- that have things handed to them and another group of people that have to work for it and i was lucky enough to be in the group that had to work for it so i was never surprised it was like I just had an early understanding of the situation here. Yeah, I agree. Um, including now, a lot I of feel, people get smacked by that. Yeah. yeah, I feel like I the older I get, the harder I work for it. It gets larger the reward, but it doesn't seem to get easier. And it just seems to more diversify, or more employees, or more team members, or whatever it is. More adventures I want to go on, or more entrepreneurial businesses I want to I want to do. Um, <clears throat> and diversify those interests for sure. If you yeah. could tell anyone anything about sort of any lessons in life, leadership lessons, um, like what would it be entrepreneurial lessons that if you any entrepreneurs out there or leaders out there could learn or wish you knew when you were their age since the majority are younger than us entrepreneurs and trying to figure out where they're going in life? What would sure. it be? I, uh, I think the the most important things that I try and the, the, I think there's probably three things that I really try and focus on in my leadership, and it, and it's all things that they definitely hammer you on in like sergeant school in the army in your leadership courses, but it's also things that my mom did my whole life as a leader. So it's, you know, again, I'm thankful that I didn't have to learn this. I was just raised this way. But I I think the three things would be that you have to lead from the front. You absolutely have to show everybody that you're willing to do all the things. I change the grease trap every once in a while. I I told you I pick up the mop at at the end of a busiest night. I do all of the people, and I don't do it every time. I'm not saying I'm the mopper, but they see me mop. They, they know that I'm not above them, that I'm one of you still. And, and I think that leading from the front is, is very important. I, I ha- they have to see me do it for them to do it. Uh, I think the second thing would be that I publicly praise and privately criticize. If I yell at you for doing something wrong in front of your peers, anything that you might have learned is, is going to be completely negated by you thinking, fuck this guy, I'm embarrassed, he's such a jerk, you know, this, you're not going to hear anything that I had to say at that point. If I take you in a different room, in a hallway somewhere, out back, and have that same talk with you, we can act, you can hear me, because you're not embarrassed. But the, the, the opposite of that is if you do something good, you shouldn't do that privately. You shouldn't text them. You should say that in front of everybody, like, hey, this person did awesome tonight and you should try and have a bar as clean as Savannah's, you know, like that's the kind of stuff that, that makes them proud to have done that and want to keep doing that. And the person at the, at the other end of the bar, they want that pat on the back. They want, they want Ryan to come say, Oh, your bar looked great tonight. You did such a good job. They want that. So, so give them that, you know, it's, they want their, they want their little star sticker next to their name where everybody can see that they got a star and that's fine. It's okay to want to be publicly praised. That's, it's not a bad thing. It's a, I think it's totally natural. So, uh, the last thing, uh, man, I had it a second ago. Oh, the, the, the third thing would be that you have to remember that just because you're the leader and because you're in charge, doesn't mean that, you know, all of the answers, the people that are in the trenches doing that job every day probably have a better grasp right now on 
what the current temperature of that thing is. And if you're, if these people that are doing the job are coming to you with complaints or with, you know, ways that we could be improving or doing something better, it is very important to hear that stuff and, and really consider it and not just be like, Nope, they're new. They're stupid. Well, you know what? A new set of eyes is exactly what this organization might've needed. It could be super obvious to someone fresh out of school. That's, you know, they're seeing something in a whole new light that you would have never considered. So just because they're new or because they're, you know, the bottom level position or any of those doesn't mean that, that their opinions and thoughts aren't balanced. So that that's that would be what I would if I have any if I could have got some real solid advice when I was, you know, starting management, that's the stuff that I wish I could have heard. And um are you gonna eventually get into food and C B D or are you right now you're just worried about extracting the oil and other things have you thought about uh, the food part or is that something you're starting to get curious in just out of curiosity so uh, 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 curious yeah We're, we dabble with the idea uh a couple of our part well, there's four of us doing it and uh a couple of our partners are, are more interested in that side of it than i am at this point um i i think that uh for me, so I, I've done all of the parts of it. I've worked in a cannabis bakery. I've, do, I've worked in a grow. I've, so I've done all the things. So at this point, I know the parts that I like. I know what parts don't feel like work to me. And so I was able to just pick those parts. I, you know, it, it, I, when, when I go and do that stuff, my day just flies by. So I know that I don't want to do the food part of it. Right now, we're just a bulk supplier, um, and but we might get into doing some of our own specific product lines eventually. But that'd probably be a couple years away if that's something we decide to do. I think there's a higher likelihood that we would – medical marijuana just became legal in Mississippi. Um, but I happen to know that the entry into any – uh, level of legality of marijuana in a state is a very rough process. I worked in the industry in Colorado when it was going from medical to recreational. And even, you know, even in Colorado where it was a very accepted idea, uh, there was all kinds of just very asinine rules that we had to follow. And, you know, we would, someone would tell us one thing was okay. And then a new alderman would come in and say, that's not how we're interpreting this. And, you know, just a bunch of dumb stuff like that. So we're kind of waiting for the cannabis industry to settle out in Mississippi. And in a couple of years, if this is going well, then I think there's a higher likelihood that we would get into the cannabis industry. And if we did that, then there, we would have a, a bakery as part of a, a dispensary, but very cool. Be a, that's, yeah, it's about five years away before we're even really considering that. So I'm definitely going to have you back on, Ryan. I'll definitely reach out to you because um, I'd love to do a part two. So I'll reach out to you here sometime in the future and we'll do another one. The, um, okay. But as we wrap up, where can they find you online? Um, and uh, where? how do they find the music schedules and the venue schedule for Rick's? And sure. if there's anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up, it's all yours and uh, we'll get out of here. All right. Well, so you can find us at www.rickscafe.net. And that's if you go there, that has our full menu on it. It has our, every concert that we have announced right now. It also has um, you can reserve tables on there. If, uh, if you want to follow us, it's at Rick's Starkville on Instagram or on Facebook. Um, that's R-I-C-K-S-S-T-A-R-K-V-I-L-L-E. Um, and, and that has all of our concert announcements. And you could, if you go to our Instagram, you can see all of our old concert pictures and stuff like that. So there's a, bu a bunch of great photos and videos on, on our social media accounts. <laughs> I love it. Um, is there anything else you want to say before we get out of here? 
Anything weighing on uh, your mind? Uh, so yeah, Rick, Rick and I, uh, Rick's the president of our local humane society. Uh, my girlfriend, or she's my, she's my fiance now, actually, excuse me. Uh, we just got engaged this past weekend, actually. Congratulations. Uh, thank you very much. We've been dating for seven years, so it's about time apparently. Uh, but she's on the board of directors for our humane society and all of Northern Mississippi is just absolutely inundated with animals right now. Um, we would ask that you spay new to your animals. And if you choose to get an animal that you shop, uh, that you adopt and don't shop, there are a ton of great pure and mixed breed animals at, at your local shelter. If there's not one at your shelter, you can contact uh, If you're interested in a, in a, a, a particular breed of dog, there is almost certainly a, a, a rescue organization out there that, that just picks these up from breeders that, you know, someone gives a dog away and, and they don't want it to go to a shelter, so it goes to something like a Springer Spaniel Rescue. And so a guy keeps it at his house until someone can really adopt it. That's that's one of the things Rick does. Um, he has a, a he has two different private uh, animal rescue operations that he works with, and the Octavia County Humane Society. So you know, I if we could say anything, it's that the the spay and neuter problem is a huge problem all over the country and that uh, we would love if you would spay and neuter your animals and support your local humane society any way you can. I love it. Thank you very much, Ryan. Give give them the old... Say that again. Give them the old Bob Barker from Price is Right. Don't forget to spay and neuter your animals. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, Thank you again, Ryan, for coming on the show. I'll reach out to you. We'll do a part two. Thank you, everyone in the audience, for listening in. Continue to share the episodes. Give them good ratings. The more stars or check marks or whatever, depending on the syndication you get, the better we do. Thank you, everyone. You can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through listening to podcasts. And you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. I love you guys. I appreciate all of you. And we're out.